Advanced Practice Weekly podcast. So this week I have Emma Rose from Great Ormond Street Hospital. So this podcast is going to be a little bit different because we're hearing from someone in a slightly different profession than we're used to. So welcome, Emma. Can you introduce yourself, your role uh, and tell us a little bit about what you do? Well, thank you so much for having me. I am a radiographer and I work at Great Ormond Street Hospital and I work in a department called Interventional Radiology. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the world of radiology, radiographers are kind of anything to do with imaging in a hospital. So any kind of MRI scans, CT scans, x-rays, ultrasound scans. And I work in interventional, which is where we kind of use x-rays to guide some operations. So it's kind of a cross between operating theatre and a radiology department. Um, And then I've worked at GOSH for seven years and I have, feels, feels like longer, in the last five years was appointed to be a clinical specialist radiographer, which means that I now undertake some of the procedures that the doctors traditionally would have. Mm-hmm. So I place um, vascular access, I change mm-hmm. feeding tubes, um, do some dilatations, and I kind of look after the whole patient pathways within that. Mm-hmm. But that's principally my role is to do the procedures rather than just doing the imaging for the procedures. Okay, so it's kind of the complete patient care episode all in one go. Yeah, so we look after the patient first thing in the morning. So we um, come in and we will check the operating list for that day. So Mm -hmm. which patients we're responsible for that day. And then we have to kind of look up their history, make sure that they're safe for the procedure. And then we go and meet them and we do the consent as well. So we're part of that whole pathway. So we go and take consent from the patient, answer any questions that they or their family might have. And then we come back and we lead the team brief. So we're kind of in charge of a multidisciplinary team for that day. Because I work with paediatric patients, most of our procedures are under general anaesthetic, where we then lead the anaesthetic team. So we have a full team as about 10 to 12 of us on any given day. So we'll do the team brief. We follow the WHO checklist. So kind of to make sure that each procedure is stated and what we're doing safely. And then we um, proceed to then do the procedures for the patients. And then for a lot of them, we then have to go and see them at the end of the day check that they're okay, make sure there's been no complications and then send them on their way. Wonderful. It also sounds lovely because I think previously perhaps would have different people doing different aspects of each of that bit. But what's really nice is for the patient and the patient journey is they have that same experienced clinician from start to end. And that just sounds so much better for the patient. Yeah. And for the awake patients that we do, so a lot of our feeding tube changes we can do awake Mm -hmm. and it's tolerated very well, even on the little kids. For those, the families have really appreciated that we're the people that they see regularly now to the point where some of my loyal patients are hilarious. So I was on annual leave and one of the consultants did the tube change list. And then he sent me an email to say that one of the patients was furious that it wasn't me. <laughs> where was Emma? Um, and so for me, that that is one of my favourite parts of my job, actually, because as a radiographer, traditionally when we're newly qualified radiographers we tend to work in Mm x-ray and in that you meet a patient for maybe five minutes maybe 10 minutes depending on what x-ray they're having done and you don't ever get that kind of patient bonding and that's what we do is really important and our skills lie in getting rapport quickly and gaining a patient's trust but we don't ever have that kind of bonding that maybe nursing staff have on a ward so I've really loved getting that better bonding with a patient and being able to really get to know them and know their families it's really rewarding 
So I guess that expansion of your role has kind of changed your kind of relationship with the patients as well. Definitely it has, yeah. Um, I think also for paediatric patients as well, there must be something really reassuring to kind of feel really safe in the hands of someone that's going to do that procedure to you. That's probably quite frightening. I think even as an adult, quite frightening. A lot of them, the tube chain patients are the best example because they're awake and they, it doesn't hurt when we change them, but sometimes it just feels a little bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them will get scared and I, can reassuredly say well we did this before we've done this together before and we know how it works and then they do build up that trust so yeah and the families really get to know us and know that if they call us and say the tube's broken I'm like don't worry about it we will sort you out and it's it's really it's really rewarding and it's something that we have really stated as an impact in the benefit of advanced practice is that we are we have the time to be able to provide that stability for the patients which has been really beneficial I mean exactly and I think for the patients it's probably so you can't quantify how important that is for them and like you said that is really where an advanced practice role really kind of comes into its own that continuity and that amazing service that gets provided that probably due to restrictions wouldn't be able to be provided otherwise you really meet a gap where there is no other person to provide that role which is really it's quite exciting yeah yeah it's been great and so obviously very different background to kind of what we're typically used to so it'd just be great to hear about kind of how you work to the four pillars like what kind of different things do you do and how your role might look like so I think the clinical pillar is normally the easiest to to define it's Mm -hmm. we go and do clinical work now that doesn't necessarily mean though hands-on with patients like there's a lot of what we're trying to term non-direct clinical care so I this morning already have been looking at what patients need to come through are there any emails over the weekend is anyone tubes broken and that still counts as clinical care it's just that I'm sat on my laptop Mm -hmm. doing it rather than directly in front of the patient so I think the clinical pillar is pretty given and that for me tends to be two long days a week roughly yep Um, and then I do a what we would call a radiography day so kind of back to my roots of doing the imaging Mm -hmm. and that we believe ticks a few boxes with education and leadership I think that the education pillar was again fairly straightforward to achieve once you've established in your clinical practice I think you need to spend a period of time learning your clinical practice yeah and then when you get more comfortable with that I think education comes naturally so I do some lecturing at London South Bank University so I'm a visiting fellow there and I do some lecturing for that so that's kind of influencing the new generation of radiographers and at work it's again it's that's a given so when I'm a radiographer I am a senior member of staff And one thing that we really believe is helpful is that you can teach a lot of people to do things, but if you don't tell them why they're doing something, then they're less likely to understand. So we try and use my expertise as an operator, as someone doing the procedure, to then improve the imaging while we're doing the procedure, which is benefits the patient. So we always kind of bring it back to the patient. We do something called collimating, which is where we just make the area of the x-ray smaller or bigger, depending on what we need to see. (laughs) And that decreases or increases the radiation dose to the patient so by explaining what I'm looking at as an operator that can then help the radiographer understand how to keep the radiation dose down and benefit in the patient so we do a lot of kind of teaching sort of ad hoc rather than formal teaching yeah and then I think you kind of as you get known in your role I'm quite unique nationally there's not really many other people that can do pediatric IR as a radiographer but I think as a result we get asked to speak at study days or at conferences or in um, webinars Um, and that's something that we've found really helpful to kind of share our model and to share because what we want and I guess exactly what you guys want is an army of advanced practice people that can just 
rule the NHS and make it amazing. (laughs) So um, the more we can do to kind of promote how successful we find it. And I think the fact that we're paediatrics really helps sell the cause almost, because I think even in with doctors and with experienced centres that aren't specialist paediatric centres, if you say a three kilo baby, they all kind of shudder and couldn't imagine doing anything on a baby. But then we've got radiographers doing lines on newborns. So it's kind of it's something that we really try and spread that message, that education, that it's entirely possible if you have the right support and training, but it's entirely possible. The pillar that I found the hardest to get my head around at first was the leadership pillar. And I think for a long time, I found it. um, I think I confused it with management and I found that the distinction between management and leadership very difficult to work out at first. But as I've grown in my role, I've really come to understand that leadership is just about being visible and being being a professional example or kind of helping guide people. Yeah. So I think leadership comes in a lot of my kind of extracurricular work. So I sit on committees. Now that kind of sits in the hospital. So I sit on the consent board within the hospital regionally I sit in north central London advanced practice group and then nationally I'm on the association of pediatric radiographers so you kind of it's about showing examples and being able to influence and help at different levels it's not yes I think when you are an advanced practitioner and especially as you head towards consultant practice you need to be looking for national influence not just Mm -hmm. local at your trust because it's it's a bigger picture than that so I found that one hard but eventually I've kind of come to understand what the leadership pillar is Um, and then research Mm -hmm. again I from my knowledge is probably the one that advanced practitioners find the hardest to find time for and to accomplish absolutely definitely not (laughs) yeah and it is probably my weakest pillar in all honesty but I think that that's a lot of people hear the word research and think it means full funded projects and it doesn't it can just be an audit it could be Um, what I've been doing a lot of recently is supporting other people doing projects so some of our nursing staff and helping using my knowledge of what I've learned about research and qualitative quantitative all of those kind of trigger words and helping them do an audit on how we do the checklist or you know things like that so Mm -hmm. I think that that I think the pillars overlap a lot so that kind of covers education leadership and research just by helping one person so I think they overlap a lot but it's something that research I think is really important to try and make time for because I think that's probably the neglected pillar for a lot of people purely because of time constraints if nothing else definitely I think so I mean from understanding what you're saying there it it sounds like it takes a lot of different formats and by the sounds of it Mm. as you begin your kind of journey as an ACP the four pillars looks quite different and as you progress more into your role and kind of go towards a trajectory of consultant-led practice what you're doing in those pillars also develops and you feel more comfortable in the same way as when you become newly qualified in your role you know the clinical feels terrifying but actually once you've been doing it for a while you advance and you find it a lot easier and you find your feet within it yeah so I guess by the sounds of it you found your feet within within those pillars and I think it's really good to highlight that to people that it doesn't have to be like you say you don't have to be doing a full funded research project to meet that that yep. pillar but also you don't have to be doing everything within it as well actually supporting others yeah meets both pillars um to to reach that so I think it's a really good way of looking at it and seeing how other people work within their role yeah um but I think it's really important and also 
taking the time to reflect on it to realize that you're probably achieving a lot more than you realize definitely it's not until you have to do like an application for some funding or something that you're like oh I actually do quite a lot (laughs) absolutely absolutely and it's lovely to hear that you're representing at a national level as well and 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 kind of having that visibility because I think it's really important knowing what scope of practice is out there for people yeah. um, and just seeing and knowing what you're able to achieve. And like you say, things that other people would find really daunting and terrifying is really great for the profession and for others to see. So it's lovely to see you showcase that. So I'd love to hear about the breadth of your scope. Um, so within your specialty of interventional radiology, so what kind of other things or areas are you aware of that um, radiographers are working in in advanced practice roles? Sometimes um, you guys might have heard of an area in radiology called fluoroscopy, which is very common in adults and used in pediatrics as well, where they kind of do sort of what we would call barium studies. So looking at like having the video swallows, any kind of enema, that kind of um, imaging. And so IR and fluoroscopy kind of overlap because it's similar equipment, really, and similar idea. And a lot of radiographers lead that, especially in adults. There's a lot of radiographers that lead um, barium studies with fluoroscopy. And there's slightly different procedures in adults. So there's a lot of things that we don't really see in pediatrics, like nephrostomy changes. So a lot of adults will have regular nephrostomy changes. And that's something that a lot of radiographers do. There's actually a special interest group called the Extended Role Radiographers and Interventional Procedures, which is quite a mouthful, ERIP, we call it. Um, And that's been a really great forum. Um, I set it up about two years ago. It was just during COVID, I think. Amazing. Because there's... Within radiography, generally, there's quite a lot of established areas of advanced practice. So reporting radiography is probably the most well-known one where radiographers report on the x-rays that they have taken. Um, And that's been really that's there's lots of research behind that. There's lots of funding that's gone into studies for that. There's lots of very well-known reporting radiographers. One just got an MBE in the New Year's Honours. So that's a very well-established pathway, as is breast work. So breast was one of the original places where radiography advanced practice took off. And that was radiographers that would do the mammogram. Then they would have been trained to do the ultrasound and then they would take the biopsy themselves and it was to help improve patient flow. So to do the one-stop clinics where um, patients would be worried about something and they would go have their imaging, have a biopsy if they needed it, be sent home. Um, and that really improved the patient pathway because it was a real bottleneck. So that's those two areas are very well established. But in interventional radiology, it's, we think it's something that people have been doing quite quietly in their own centres for a long time, plodding away, doing the odd pick line insertion. But there hasn't been a kind of formalised pathway like there is with reporting radiography. For reporting radiography, you go to uni, you do a PG cert, and then you can go away and report. But it's not like that with interventional. So I set up the SIG to kind of help make a community. And actually, it's been amazing um, seeing the different people. Building that up has opened my eyes to the different things people do. So another procedure that a lot of radiographers do in adult practice, which is not common in paediatrics, is ascites drainage. So again, it's about... I think there's a common theme is it's all about what would help the patients and the patient pathway. So ascites drainage is like a palliative treatment for patients with liver disease or oncology patients. Yep. And it can really improve their quality of life. Yes. And yep. it's a really quick, simple procedure. But if they have to wait all day for to find a slot, if there's not room. So that's something that a lot of the radiographers have been doing is putting in acidic drains and being able to help those kind of palliative patients. 
there's a real breadth across kind of yeah all the different specialities which is really interesting so I guess for people out there it's that there might be an established pathway for you already in your kind of area radiography or it might be that it's just beginning and developing but that's not to say there's not room for advanced practice it kind of seems crazy that advanced practice wasn't filling that gap before because it seems so perfectly done by an advanced practitioner Radiographers have a kind of a separate way of looking at advanced practice, as well as the kind of the Health Education England multi-professional framework. So can you tell us a little bit about the Society of Radiographers and what kind of that entails and their processes? So um, the Society and College of Radiographers is the equivalent of the RCN on one side. So it has two prongs. So it has the Society of Radiographers is the kind of union side and the College of Radiographers is the kind of educational influencing national debates and working with people like Health Education England. And they have an accreditation process that has been in place for longer than I have known about the Health Education England framework. And they... You can essentially, if you are a radiographer that is a member, so it is a subscription service, but most people, most radiographers I know do do it because it's our indemnity insurance as well. You can basically apply through their CPD network. So they have an online CPD platform, which anybody can use. um, And then through that, you can press Mm -hmm. a button saying accreditation application. And they've got a few different types. So there's one for education, one for advanced practice and one for consultant practice. It was quite a long process, so I'm not going to lie and say it was easy. It was very difficult, actually, like it took me quite a long time to do. And you essentially have to write a statement of practice. You have to then write a statement of why you should be entitled to the accreditation. So that's, I think it was 2,000 words or 2,500. It was quite a large statement. And then you have to link that statement to six pieces of CPD. So you have to upload all your CPD for two years and show that you've got a good CPD diary. Um, but then it has to specifically link to six pieces. Once you've done all of that, which sounds fairly straightforward, but really does take quite a long time. Absolutely. It then has to go through two attesters of your choice. So people that you know at your employer that can say, yes, Emma does do all those things, like she hasn't lied. Yeah. Um, so I sent it to my superintendent and my lead consultant. Yeah. Um, and they basically agreed, or they can say like, oh, you've forgotten you've done this, Emma, or they go through to a tester, so they write a little statement, and then it gets goes to, there's different boards, and I forgive me, I can't remember what the boards are called, but I think there's two boards that it goes through, and so it goes through one board that says, um, they send it to a um, assessor, and the assessor will write a statement, and they kind of pick who they think is most appropriate based on your profession and your background. Goes to an assessor, they kind of mark it almost, mm-hmm. a bit like a university essay, and then they send that through saying, yes, we agree that she fits the pillars and they do align it to the four pillars and they'll say yes she fits the four pillars they'll give some constructive feedback so for example I had some constructive feedback that I passed for my education example they were saying well we could really do is seeing some feedback from students so I wrote a lot about my lecturing experience and reflected on that and how I found it hard at first and how I adapted and then they said that that was really great but it would have been even better if I'd have included some feedback from the students because it's all good saying I can lecture but maybe all the students think I'm rubbish <laughs> at it so you kind of need I like appreciated that feedback yeah but they said that I had you know achieved the markers and then it goes to another board who then sign it off and say yes this is an accredited advanced practitioner so it's a long process it took quite a long time because the boards only meet at certain times of the year but I do think and I'm pretty sure from what I know that amongst the different allied health professions and nursing professions the Society of Radiographers has done it very well um, Mm -hmm. because the one thing about it being 
hard to do means that it's thorough and not everybody can just get it easily so yeah I think that they have made it it's done very well um it's very well aligned to the four pillars it was very clear that I had to achieve the right status in all of the four pillars not just saying I can do the mm-hmm. side of are very good at distinguishing between advanced practice and extended roles or mm-hmm. enhanced practice so that's something that um I think it's very well done I think that it was hard but that's a good thing if that absolutely yeah and I think you're right I think a lot of places uh, struggle to distinguish it because there's so much overlap that people struggle to kind of define when you cross mm-hmm. that line from extended into advanced um so it'd be really nice to kind of hear kind of how um radiographers look at supervision and mentorship and kind of what you have in place whether that's specific to radiography or if that's specific to Great Ormond Street I have quite a lot of thoughts on this actually but obviously Mm -hmm. when I'm speaking about it it's from my experience so I can't say for every radiographer ever but I do think that supervision has been something that has been challenging at times because um because advanced practice especially in interventional radiology is quite new there hasn't been necessarily very much clear guidance not when I first started on how to supervise and what to do and I would say to anyone that's starting out there is much better guidance now and full credit to my team that look after me that they have put so much work into looking up how to supervise a radiographer identifying gaps that we had um so my department have been phenomenally supportive and have done a lot of work into looking all of that guidance up sometimes I'll go into their office and I'll just see a health education England document on the side and they've obviously been reading about it so (laughs) yeah they've worked really hard so I think that we have found a few barriers but hopefully we've kind of worked out some ways of overcoming them which might be helpful for people so one thing is when you're doing reporting radiography, for example, you can report a chest X-ray and then someone else can report the chest X-ray and say, yeah, you spotted everything I spotted or you missed this or here's some feedback. But when you're doing a procedure on somebody, you can't double do the procedure. You can't, you can't say, oh, well, I would have done it. I did it like this. You did it like that. So that's something that we found very difficult to audit our practice and things, because how do we double you can't double do a line for somebody if they need access. So um, we've made a lot of use of what the doctors are very familiar with, which is DOPS, Direct Observation of Procedural Study, I think the S is. But the DOPS format, so um, that was actually suggested by our consultants because that's something that they would assess their junior doctors with. And so we literally just took those we minorly adapted a couple of the words in it. So for example, it would say level of trainee. So we would change the wording in a few places like that. But essentially as a tool, that was a very useful tool for us to be like, Emma is doing a pick line today. I've got this piece of paperwork. Here's the feedback. She could do it unsupervised. She could do it with supervision. Like she needs to work on this. Like it was a really useful tool for us. So I would really recommend in any radiography or any nursing profession or any profession really, there will be DOPS for whatever the Royal College of the doctor group that you work with have. They all do them. It's a very familiar tool for doctors. Yep. And therefore, it's very familiar for them to be able to use them to give us feedback. So I would really recommend. Yes. Yeah. Whether you work in child health or orthopedics or whichever your body is, they will have a set of DOPS for their juniors and they work really, really well, actually. 
Which I think is a really good point, because I think obviously if you're asking someone from another profession to supervise another profession, I think they can have some kind of reservations because they're worried that they're not, they don't know how to supervise that individual from a different profession. But if you're speaking the same language, um, it kind of really helps to understand. So would you, so does, do you find that that makes you engage a little bit more in kind of supervised practice to get that feedback for the DOPS? How do you kind of structure that? So I've recently started supervising another ADOG for our model is working well that we're expanding, which is good progression for me and it's useful for her. And so for her, because she's new, we sort of start with observing. So they'll come, they'll observe the procedure. Then it's kind of assisting. So they'll help do the procedure. Then they do it with me assisting. So we do, it's called like the step, stepping back or stepping back model, I think, where you kind of, they slowly do it. And because yeah. our procedures are generally sterile, that actually provides a really useful stepping back procedure because we can be scrubbed and ready to help, but just maybe sit on a stool at the edge. Mm-hmm. And then we can sit on the stool, yeah. but not scrubbed, which adds in that we're right there for the person verbally, mm-hmm. but we're not, we can't be as hands-on to help them. So it gives them the opportunity to practice then we might sit in what we call the control room so we're not we can't really hear them Mm -hmm. but we're right there if they need us and then we might sit down the corridor and so you kind of step back that supervision I think it's really good early on in a trainee or someone starting to look at the person's background and to learn how they got to that stage because one thing that we really identified at ours which it took us a while to identify but became quite apparent is that as radiographers particularly we're not taught at any point to have difficult conversations with patients Mm -hmm. if anything we're actually taught the opposite so we might take a chest x-ray and see some horrendous mass but we're not allowed to say anything we have to say oh the report will be with you so we're taught Mm -hmm. to not say things so then when it's something you have to face when you're doing advanced practices, you will mm-hmm. get a complication at some point and have to have a conversation with a family or a patient about that. Mm-hmm. We were finding that very difficult because we've, we hadn't had any training, teaching. Mm-hmm. We found it upsetting at times. And so one of our consultants, we had a bit of an epiphany all of a sudden one day that we hadn't, that wasn't something radiographers had learnt. So we, um, she now set up a kind of mini in-house course that she calls Difficult Conversations. Amazing. And so we, she's worked really hard with our sim team um, and we set up simulations and it's to do with staff and patients and families. Like it's not just patients yep. of how to help us with some phrasing and we run scenarios. I think that's a really great example people can take away with about practical things that they can do. So for example, one is DOPS, but one is if you find that weakness or that area that you feel like you want more development development in, SIM is quite, um, it's becoming bigger and bigger and people are seeing more research and benefit of it. What a great opportunity to practice and enhance those skills in a really safe way. I think what you talked about for supervision is really valuable. Is there anything else that you've kind of learned along the way or anything that you're doing within your area? I think one really important part of supervision is the governance side of things, because a lot of the time I do have in the back of my head, like what's the worst case scenario that could happen? And so we always have that in the back of our mind because complications are a real risk. They are a real thing that could happen or will happen if you do enough procedures and enough advanced practice. Um, And so we have that 
a lot about governance so a lot of stuff is about signing people off when they're appropriate and making sure that we have got the documentation in place and that we have I think recording your supervision meetings is very important having them but having no evidence that you have had them is not enough I think it can still be informal go and have a coffee and have a chat about how people are but you do need to then have even if it's a paragraph of a quick meeting minute of saying we met this person has no problems we're working on this or you know I think that's very important as well and I think the regular contact is the biggest take-home message I would give people I think again that's something that's so simple that everybody can take away to you know at least start or improve on their kind of supervision journey as well isn't it can we just touch on you were talking about a kind of like a community of practice that you you, um, started what exactly is that and what information could you give us so that was through the Society of Radiographers I just kind of realized that there was a gap really in so they have special interest groups through the society and I noticed that there was a bit of a gap because I was sat being like I can't be the only person that does this and I think my managerial structure was asking me to do a job plan and I was like Mm -hmm. I I don't know where to start I need to ask someone else but I don't know who to ask Um, and so that's why I set it up so they put a little advert in the kind of magazine that comes out and I think there's 80 or 90 members now across the country which is amazing and it's really helped build this community so sometimes people will just pop up being like I'm about to start doing these joint injections what local anesthetic do people use and how do you get signed off for using it is it under a PGD sitting back and watching the discussion forum is so it's not super active it doesn't go off every day but it's really nice to see that we're able to support each other and there are some consultant radiographers on there who are much more established have really robust job plans and for example one of those guys sent me their job plans a practical tip um so I'd really advocate joining Twitter actually as well I think it can be very you can make a lot of networks and you can learn I've learned about study days before that I only found out via Twitter and things like that so I would I would encourage people to join a great tip I think for people definitely to use um what's your twitter if people want to find you on twitter I am peed p-a-e-d underscore i-r underscore rad amazing wonderful any final comments I would really encourage people to push the boundaries of their practice um if you are someone that is an adults putting in pics then ask if you can go and learn to do hickman lines or you know like push the boundaries of your practice and if the people aren't sure then say well there's people at Great Ormond Street doing this like we can get in touch share their models like be don't be afraid to get in touch with people because people like me I love it when people contact me I'm always like oh it makes me feel nice and useful so um message people on Twitter drop people emails or even if you just message on Twitter saying I'd love to ask you a question what's your work email ask because you won't know if you don't ask Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for coming on the podcast. That was Emma Rays from Great Ormond Street Hospital.